You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. It's Friday evening and it's just gone 8 p.m. Well, you've heard the news. Hmm. The, all eyes in the world continue to be on Rafa. Uh, Nazi Israel still there with its stormtroopers waiting to invade the concentration camp, the last concentrated concentration camp in Gaza. And still the United States is arguing that the only way forward is normalization. Uh, I've been looking at um, many of the submissions made to the ICJ this week. been trying to go w- work my way through them, get them up onto the site of Marcus Sahaba. It's been made really difficult because this week we also had the budget and I had to prepare for that. And I'm afraid you don't uh, prepare for a budget by just um, picking up some stories five minutes before your show starts. You have to make sure you understand what the issues are and um, it takes quite a lot of reading. So all of that happened right in the middle of the ICJ's cases. And of course, um, the genocide in Gaza continues unabated in the meantime. So what do we focus on? Hmm. Um, having, having a look, giving you some sort of broad brush strokes on what has been submitted uh, before the ICJ this week. The United States, importantly, um, has tied the whole, um, any, any considered opinion about Israel's actions in occupied territories and the legality thereof. The United States has, has appealed to the court to please, you cannot, um, uh, you cannot find that their occupation, their 57-year occupation of the occupied territories is illegal. And um, because there's nothing in international law that ties occupation to a time period. So just because it has continued for a very long time doesn't mean it's illegal because the occupation continues in fact. And that then becomes the basis of the law that America tries to understand the whole thing through. France has uh, made it very clear uh, that as far as it is concerned, this is an illegal occupation. It uh, it says uh, that it, it cannot be allowed to continue and France will never support it. The uh, United States is very much tying uh, any peace process in the Middle East to a normalization process and says if the court is going to make any orders um, in this regard, it must do so uh, bearing in mind the, the whole land for peace principle which underlay uh, the Egyptian peace agreement with Israel, the Jordanian peace agreement with Israel, and the, uh, the, the uh, PLO agreement with Israel. Also envisages uh, exchange for land and a two-state deal. I haven't seen anyone uh, calling for a one-state uh, peace proposal. Uh, one country, one, one person, one vote. Get rid of the uh, divisions between Israel and Palestine, recognize it as just one contiguous state, and everyone inside the borders has equal rights. That's the South African solution. Uh, and it seems as though the world has not really moved beyond uh, this two-state solution, including, it would appear, Hamas as well. Hamas also appears still willing to return to the 1967 borders. Um, uh, the the issue for, and then I get a feeling um, that the United States is, uh, it's, opinion is going to be accepted by the court. Uh, that's my feeling. Um, many countries have said that, uh, that the occupation is legal and it needs to end immediately and that genocide is unfolding in Gaza. The United States uh, still uh, tries to argue that this is just normal war. Um, France, uh, surprisingly enough, has called for an immediate ceasefire in, in, uh, in its submission before the International Court of Justice in The Hague. 
And um, it would appear that many other states uh, are also in support of uh, the two-state solution as, as well as normalization. I haven't been able to get through every single one so far uh, because you see what I'm doing is I'm not just trying to read them. I'm trying to edit them and put them up on our site so that people coming to our website can can actually read the submissions themselves. Oh boy, and that of course then requires a, a, a lot of editing um, because uh, there's a lot of waffle in all of these things, you know. There's a lot of uh, nodding to court procedures and so on. And uh, many things that aren't really sort of like directly getting to the core of the issue. Uh, but most countries are calling for a return. Basically, it would, it would appear people are saying, yeah, we need to return to the Oslo Peace Accord. <sighs> you know, 24 years later, 20 years later, 24 years later, Oslo Peace Accords uh, initially penciled in in uh, in 2000 and uh, and we get the feeling that uh, Nazi Israel is just going to we will get agreements so what are they going to do they're going to assassinate their prime minister again what are we supposed to make of all of this um, it really uh, I mean we, we went through a peace process already didn't we and how did that peace process end up? And then it ended up with um, Yitzhak Rabin being assassinated and um, Benjamin Netanyahu taking over as Prime Minister of Israel and then walk, trampling all over the peace accord and ensuring that it would never be implemented. And, and the whole of Israel was fully behind him. Um, uh, the murderer, the assassin of Yitzhak Rabin is touted as, as a hero in Israel today. And uh, Israel was then able to use the Oslo Peace Accords in order we, which divided the West Bank into areas A, B, and C, A belonging to Palestinians, B belonging to or controlled by Israel, and C being uh, basically kind of like rural areas outside the cities which were which were seen as then being falling under under a kind of like rural administration. However, Israel has used those uh, the, the Oslo peace accords in order to drive its settlement policy in the East Bank, saying, "Well, Palestinians aren't in charge of Area C, so we have got equal uh, concomitant authority over Area C, which is by far the largest." Uh, part of of the West Bank, uh, all the rural areas outside the narrow confines of the cities, and uh, it has been able to use its control over Area C, its effective, absolute control over Area C, as well as, of course, with the collusion of of uh, Fatah, in order to expand its uh, its its illegal settlements. Russia's position before the court has been, I can only say for me, um, a disap disappointing. And it's curious, why? Why? You would think, you would think Russia would say, yes, this is the perfect opportunity for us to put the knife into the United States. Here's the United States' most, um, most sensitive issue in Arabia. Um, it's come before the international court. We can use this opportunity to score major points. But no, Russia has not done that. Instead, uh, the, uh, the Russian council before the ICJ has been at pains to express how Russia has got warm and cordial relationships with Israel and values these relationships. Uh, and it says that we have got very strong ties built on fighting terrorism and Nazism. Israel is a Nazi state, and yet Vladimir Putin, who likes to think of himself as being a very acute and astute uh, international uh, affairs observer and participant and analyst, says uh, Israel is fighting Nazism. While it's uh, while it's conducting this um, this campaign of genocide against uh, the, the the concentration camp that is Gaza, why didn't why didn't Russia put the knife in when it could, when the moment was there?
I'm, I've, I've been looking at France and I've been thinking to myself that um, France is increasingly wary of the United States, particularly w uh, regarding um, AFRICOM, the, the United States um, uh, umbrella body overseeing all of its military, its military campaigns in Africa. Uh, AFRICOM has increasingly been taking on a, a more direct uh, confrontational role in Africa. Uh, several of the coup leaders in the coup countries in West Africa were trained in the United States. And uh, the coups that have occurred in West Africa have all thrown French forces out of their countries. Now, while they have been turning... They have been turning to Wagner and the Russians to ensure stability within their borders. Nevertheless, they haven't taken action against the United States forces in their countries. So I'm wondering if one or perhaps all, or perhaps there is a U.S. contingent in all of the, in all among all of the military officers who have participated in the coups in West Africa. To what extent? Have these coups been um, secretly, uh, let's not say ordered by the United States, but uh, encouraged by the United States or perhaps enabled by the United States? Because the United States uh, knows that you can't have two powers uh, at the same time in one country. You can't have two governments in one country. You can't have two security establishments. Um, overseeing the good interests of Africa, which is, of course, what they, how the United States likes to see itself. And I have been looking for signs that perhaps France may be willing to use the, the Gaza issue uh, as a means of leverage against the United States. Okay, you give us uh, the Niger and Gabon, um, and you can have Mali, and in return we will stop criticizing you at the ICJ. And they, these are the kind of quid pro quo things that go into swinging history. Um, uh, you know, people will be speaking up about principles and morals and all of these things, but, but when it comes to the crunch, the way the world works at the moment, the final countdown and the final decision is made according to immediate practical issues on the ground. And if we have time a little bit later in the show, I'll be, I'll be having a look at that. We'll be looking at uh, what did the Palestinians vote for when they voted for Hamas in 2006? Were they, as the United States uh, concluded immediately and uh, still holds firmly to the conviction that they had voted for terrorism? Is that... Is that the main issue uppermost in the minds of Gazans in 2006? We're going to have a look at some of the public opinion surveys that were being done at the time. You know, um, Europe and the United States were so full over the Oslo Peace Accord. I mean, it was their baby, you know, and, uh, and, and, and they were so looking forward to white democracy eventually reaching the Arabs and the Palestinians. But, of course, instead of white democracy uh, setting in, just normal democracy did. Now, um, <clears throat> white democracy entails voting for people that white people like. So, you see, the white people were fully expecting that the Gazans were going to then vote for uh, Fatah and Mahmoud Abbas, the PLO, the inheritors of the PLO, the heirs of Yasser Arafat. Everyone uh, in the white world was fully expecting uh, Fatah and, um, and um, Mahmoud Abbas to be the victors out of that white democratic process. But it just didn't happen that way. No. What did the Ghazans do? They voted 67.5% in favor of, uh, of, of, of taking uh, of, of Hamas. And that was a major blow. That was a major blow. That was not expected. That was not expected to happen.
Uh, the noise you can hear outside is, in actual fact, the rain. Yes, when uh, when uh, Allah decides to break the heat in Joburg, he really does so in um, quite dramatic fashion, doesn't he? I, 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 I had to go across and have a look outside in order to try and chase some people away who are making noise outside, but it turns out it's just the weather. It's just the weather. So, um, <clears throat> so, so Russia... Um, it has uh, stuck the knife into into Israel, pointing out that um, this initial ICJ case uh, that is uh, sitting right now uh, was called towards the end of uh, in December 2022. Uh, approval for the court going ahead was given in February last year, and now it's only coming to the court now. Uh, but uh, Russia has made um, has uh, has made the point that Israel has really gone on the offensive uh, subsequent uh, to the decision to refer its uh, occupation uh, of Palestine to the world's highest court. And uh, it has also pointed out that um, the settlement process in, in, uh, in the West Bank is proceeding at a far faster pace subsequent to the... Um, to the uh, in in 2023, the fastest pace of settlements that as it has ever happened. In fact, it's it's a double it's, it's double the rate as was going on in 2022. I think it's something like 27,000 new housing units built uh, in the West Bank in 2023 versus 11,000 in 2022. So that's more than a doubling. Uh, of the settlement rate uh, in the West Bank, subsequent to the announcement of this uh, this court hearing is going to be taking place. Israel has said it's refusing to participate. Uh, Canada has said, well, if the Israelis are not going to participate, then we're not going to participate. Um, the United States uh, has, has decided that it is participating and has called for the court to make a finding linking any 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 uh, opinions to the normalization process uh, it has appealed to the court not to declare israel's occupation illegal immediately and call for an immediate withdrawal because it says duration a long duration of an occupation is not a basis for declaring it illegal that's not Gaza. that's uh, that's the weather in Gauteng outside I don't know if you can hear that, but for sure, the lighting is certainly, um, a light tile is certainly putting on a display today. So, um, so, phew. France, Israel, Russia. Russia has pointed out that in actual fact, um, a lot of a lot of, a lot of assaults on civilians in Gaza have uh, have actually increased subsequent to the court's finding last month that on a balance of probabilities genocide is happening in Gaza. Um, so Russia has put a bit of a knife into Israel, pointing out that Israel is is acting in direct uh, contempt to the court. Um, I don't know if, um, I mean, I really, I, I suppose in some ways I'm really disappointed. I'm disappointed with uh, with Russia's submission. United States was, was very much par for the course. Um, France, as I say, uh, they, they say they will never recognize uh, Israel's occupation of the Palestinian territories as being legal. Quite strong language uh, coming out from the French, but as I say, I'm quite sure that if they can get some kind of deal in Africa with the United States, their principal position will change almost overnight. But that's just the way I see things. Um, what is going to be the way going forward? The United States, I'm quite sure, would love to be in a position as it was when it went into a destroyed Iraq, saying they, those that are not with us are against us, and those that are with us are going to get all of the reconstruction contracts, and they're going to be making nice money out of Iraq. 
it was a very disgusting and 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 odious attitude to adopt and it's it's very much uh in line with uh how how the israelis uh, are are now reacting to now seeing gaza now just a flattened wasteland they they are very keen to turn gaza into valuable real estate they want to be back there and it's clear that many arab countries around palestine are also keen on getting normalization back on track as soon as possible uh what position uh, saudi arabia oh i'm going to have to have a look at saudi arabia egypt the united arab emirates over the weekend and uh i know it's taken a little bit longer than i would normally I would normally want to spend on analyzing these issues but that as as i say the icj case coming up the gaza conflict continuing and all of this happening in budget week has uh has taken a bit of um uh um out of my sails in terms of focusing on this issue i'm not able to i haven't been able to spend as much time as i would want to on this issue and hopefully i'm going to be able to catch up uh, uh at the weekend um so now where are we going to go going forward well i'm afraid the united states uh, remains solidly behind gaza while it's uh, continues speaking about uh, wanting to uh, wanting to negotiate a ceasefire and come to a peaceful end to uh, to these neg- to this Allah's <laughs> got the got the hell smashing smashing against the the windows here in the studio um normally it's on the quiet side of the building you see so it wouldn't be a problem there's no one here but now the the hail is falling against the window i'm uh, i hope that you're able to hear me <laughs> subhanallah alhamdulillah 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 ilazi who sends us rain may allah ta'ala send us rain where it is needed and may allah ta'ala send us rain that sustains and brings life and may allah ta'ala protect us from rain that destroys um uh, for the rest of the show I'd I'd like to look at okay where are the Americans now and where were the Palestinians back in 2006 we'll find out because you know th- throughout this whole thing throughout this whole uh genocide that has been unfolding here on the very first day of uh, Al-Aqsa flood I say to myself if Hamas does not have a concrete plan b in place then this has been a most unfortunate uh, tactical decision to make because israel is going to do basically i was expecting israel to do exactly what israel is doing genocide and the international community i was expecting the international community to do exactly what it is been doing Iran started speaking big words immediately but Iran has taken as much direct action as Saudi Arabia which is its uh, source of most of its criticisms Iran is playing a proxy war just like the United States is playing a proxy war and um maybe that does make it the big imperial power in Arabia at the moment um there doesn't seem to be uh, a competing authority among the arabs very sad to say but the, but it really does seem uh, if a, if it comes to initiative iran has that uh when it comes to the sunnis hey well as 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 a fellow sunni i can only hang my head in shame is all i can say um turkey made big noises but turkey has also done nothing and uh it really is it really is a shame it really is a shame but turning to the united states and genocide joe and uh plans uh, for gaza coming out of the white house at the white house last week President Biden claimed to have concerns about Israeli plans for a ground invasion of Rafah. 
But in the process, he murdered one of his typical Biden gaffes that have become a hallmark of his presidency. He began with saying, our military operation in Rafah. And then he corrected himself, I mean, there, the Israelis, the major military operation in Rafah should not proceed without a credible plan. For ensuring the safety and support of more than one million people sheltering there, they need to be protected. Although unintentional, Biden was accurate to refer to an Israeli military operation in Gaza in the possessive form. Because every Israeli atrocity in Gaza is committed with U.S. support. Accordingly, within 24 hours, the White House made clear that despite Biden's words of caution, only Israel's mass murder, mass murder campaign will remain protected. According to three U.S. officials, the Biden administration is not planning to punish Israel if it launches a military action in Rafah without ensuring civilian safety. Therefore, no reprimand plans are in the works, meaning Israeli forces can enter the, city, enter the city, harm civilians without facing American consequences. In another likely sign that Biden supports an Israeli assault, its allied regime in Egypt, a U.S. client state, is now building an eight-square-mile walled enclosure that will cage fleeing refugees on its side of the Rafah border. Biden's uh, people have also relay relayed that Israel has his green light to harm Rafa civilians. John Kirby said at the White House, we're going to continue to support Israel, and we're going to continue to make sure they have the tools and the capabilities to do that. When he was asked directly if the U.S. would punish Israel if it attacked Rafa without the Biden demand, Biden demanded credible plan for civilian safety, Kirby responded, I'm not going to get into a hypothetical game. That's a hypothetical game, genocide. To supply Israel with the proper tools, as it calls them, the U.S. is rushing a new shipment of at least a thousand bombs and related munitions. Uh, according to intelligence officials, Israel has used about half the 21,000 bombs supplied by the U.S. since October 7. Israel's remaining stockpile would be enough for 19 more weeks, but just days if war breaks out with Hezbollah on the northern border. Israel's dependence on U.S. weaponry gives the White House instrumental leverage to impose conditions on its conduct, including demanding an end to the Gaza assault. But instead of using that influence, this latest transfer is part of a broader effort, says the Wall Street Journal, a broader effort by the administration to speed the flow of weapons to Israel. And to protect that speedy effort, the White House is pledging to veto yet another UN Security Council resolution calling for immediate ceasefire. In fact, they already have. The United States and Israel are now the rogue nations of the world. The U.S. is instead proposing a six-week ceasefire, which, according to its U.N. ambassador, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, could, could then be used as, uh, to take steps to build a more enduring peace. But in pretending that Hamas would ever release all of its captives in, ex in exchange for a pause, the U.S. is only signaling its commitment to enduring genocide. Secretary of State Antony Blinken made this clear earlier this month when he claimed the Hamas's latest proposal, which centers on a permanent ceasefire, contained what are clearly non-starters, as he said. He did not bother to specify what those clear non-starters are. By contrast, when it comes to Israel's military conduct, the Biden administration maintains a policy of having no red lines. As the murderous attack on one of Gaza's largest and last functional hospitals, Nasser in Khan Yunus newly demonstrates. As we've seen repeatedly throughout this thing, ever since that first attack on Al-Akhli, things have just got worse. When it became clear the United States was still going to stand beside it, that's when Israel knew. United States is telling us, you can blow up as many hospitals as you like. We've done it all over Arabia. We got away with it. Why shouldn't you? The Biden administration's commitment to Israeli savagery is so extreme that it cannot even secure the token amounts of aid that it regularly invokes to profess in its commitment to Palestinian well-being. 
As Gaza's civilians face mass starvation, the Israeli government is holding up a shipment of one month's supply of flour, rice, chickpeas and cooking oil sent from Turkey at the port of Ashdod. Israel's stated pretext is that the intended recipient, UNRWA, the United Nations Agency for Palestinian Refugees, employs a handful of staffers whom Israel claims participated in the October 7 attack. This cynical campaign, endorsed by the, administ- by the Biden administration without any proof or backing up documents in any way, shape or form, has led the United States and its allies to suspend funding and an Israeli bank to freeze UNRWA's account, making the agency's work far more difficult. Ireland, by the way, has made, uh, I think it was something like 20 million euros, um, a donation to UNRWA just a few days ago. As an Irishman, I thought, well, you know, it's half Irishman. My mother's from Ireland. Uh, I thought I just needed to point that out. The Senate recently approved the White House endorsed foreign aid bill, which contains more than $14 billion for Israel and explicitly bars any further U.S. funding for UNRWA. So they are deepening the starvation of the Palestinians. They voted for terrorism. They deserve to die. But they only vote when they're 18. And uh, over seven, over seven, nearly 70% of those dead are never even had a chance to vote yet. Well, I guess that's American democracy for you. Israel also claims that Hamas has been diverting UN aid. They claim that even the Biden administration's envoy for humanitarian issues in Gaza, David Satterfield, has rejected. Um, Satterfield says no Israeli official has come to him, come to the administration with specific evidence of diversion or theft of money sent to the UN. Israel has meanwhile attacked Gazan police escorts of UN aid deliveries, leaving them without the proper security to continue. After helping Israel block vital aid as part of its long-time goal of destroying Umrah, the White House now claims to be a helpless bystander as Palestinian civilians face increased deprivation as a result. Said Kirby, I wish I could tell you that the flower is moving in, but I can't do that right now. He says, as a general principle, we support the work that UNRWA does. Oh, as a general principle, huh? But as evidenced by his actions, a higher U.S. principle is to support Israeli sadism. Staunchly committed to Israel's mass murder campaign, the White House can only continue to offer face-saving leaks that whitewash its role. Uh, now, 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 this is an issue which, which I brought up before. They, they like to like, let slip to the media that, you know, there's a widening gap between the White House and Israel. Uh, they, they send out stories saying, oh, White House uh, officials dealing with Israel are increasingly dissatisfied or frustrated, you know. Or they will say, President Joe Biden is growing increasingly impatient with Benjamin Netanyahu. All of these, the only thing that these stories are supposed to do is to make you pause and hesitate and saying, oh, well, then they must be about to do something at last. I knew we could rely on the United States of America, the home of the brave. And you do nothing. And then the United States sits back and does exactly the same thing while laughing. It does nothing while laughing. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, they're letting slip that, you know, frustrations building. Uh, by Benjamin Netanyahu is described as the primary obstacle. Um, the U.S. president refers to him as this guy and worse with a swear word, which I'm not going to repeat, but, but really. It is pathetic. The United States could stop this straight away. So you're not going to need any more arms ever. You will never, ever get one more arm out of the United States if you continue this genocide. You will pull them back right now. Right now. No, 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 not two minutes' time. Right now. Gone. Boof. They would be gone. But now the United States, you know, the most powerful nation in the world, uh, whose military commitments uh, outstrip like the, the, the next five biggest uh, countries spending on, on, on military equipment. With like, you know, a, a thousand military bases around the world. How many? 50, 56 in, the, in, the, in Arabia. 
the most powerful nation in the world is suddenly being uh, being called to book by one of the smallest. Um, we've uh, and so you know now there there is talk that Biden is growing frustrated, but in actual fact, there's no such thing happening. And you can only describe that Biden's support for Israel and Netanyahu is unequivocal. It is unprincipled, it is unconditional, it is slavish, and it is devotional. But it is certainly not going to end anytime soon. So now Netanyahu is vowing to proceed with the Rafa genocide in the face of global pressure. He knows they got away with it in Srebrenica. Look how long it took for them to bring that Slobodan Milosevic to the court. Hmm? Ah, la, la, I'll be long in my grave before I have to go before the ICJ. And he knows Israel would never, never release me or hand me over to those people. Those anti-Semites! Now we must go kill those Arab Semites. Um, according to Netanyahu, those who want us to prevent us from operating in Rafah are basically telling us, lose the war. He uh, said, uh, it's true, there's a lot of opposition abroad, but this is exactly the moment that we need to say that we won't be doing a half or a third of the job. We will kill everyone. When you when you murder someone, you mustn't half murder them. You must fully murder them. So that they're not half dead, that they're fully dead. That they're dead, dead, dead. You can say it three times. As he moves closer to fulfilling the job of ethnic cleansing in southern Gaza, Netanyahu can credit the only global constituency that matters to him. And that is the Biden administration and his bipartisan allies in Congress. Across party lines, Washington is affirming that for the world's most powerful state, even the most minimal gestures to protect starving, displaced, and defenseless Palestinians is a clear non-starter. Now, if you, if you look at those code pink ladies um, tackling the congressmen as they, as they walk through the hallowed halls of democracy, you can you can see them regularly on social media. But there's genocide happening. There's genocide happening. Ah, oh, all the thousands must die. As far as all of those congressmen are concerned, well, we gave the thousands an opportunity to use democracy, and what did they do? They voted for terrorism. Is it true? Is it true? It's not. It's not. And, uh, and the lies and the presumptions and the prejudices, racism is laid bare. If you, if you just go and take a look at what were public opinion polls saying about what Ghazans wanted back in 2006 when they voted in Hamas. I haven't seen anyone throughout this entire bombardment, no matter how bad it has got, Cursing Hamas. And, and I've been looking out for it, actually. I, I would have thought that there would be some people who would say, why did Hamas do this? Why did they have to do it? Now everyone knew what the Israelis are going to do. I really thought they were going to have a credible plan B in place. All they've got is firing rockets, unguided rockets that usually... Uh, 80 to 90% of them miss their targets, okay? This is a mortar bomb, and, and basically it's got a tube in the back with some petrol in it that you, you, you light the fuse, the petrol starts burning, and it shoots it out of the tube, and it uh, climbs about a kilometer into the sky and then starts falling while traveling forward. So it's basically a, a supercharged mortar shell. Um... The damage it can inflict is minimal. I mean, it'll destroy your car if it lands on your car. Um, but the lethal blast radius is probably 
maybe um, anti-personnel danger about 50 meters. Um, where there's a, like a completely effective blast radius is probably about 10 or 20 meters. So these, uh, these are rather ineffectual weapons. And the problem with uh, the, uh, the Gaza, with the Hamas tactics is they can only fight the Israelis when they are inside Gaza. So the vast uh, majority of the damage that has been inflicted on, on, on Gazans has been inflicted by Israelis outside Gaza, very safely, very far away, sitting behind a big gun, uh, helping an, uh, a plane take off or loading missiles onto an F-35 F or F-16. And uh, Israel has been able to conduct its genocide almost by remote control. So that means that, um, that Hamas is only able to inflict the damage on Israeli soldiers when they are inside their territory and close by. And even then, under constrained circumstances, um, they, 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 and and uh, that is based largely on hit and run. Um, it seems to me the Israeli government is willing to take on more casualties now than they were in 2006 and 2007 when they pulled out of Gaza. Um, and uh, we, we, we see a, a lot of videos saying that, uh, you know, um, we acted against a Merkava tank. We uh, we fired on soldiers over there. You never actually really see the final results. Was the Merkava tank actually disabled, or did you just hit the Merkava tank? Um, I don't know if if um, most of these missiles that have been fired at Merkava tanks would be capable of destroying a Merkava tank. Um, rifle fire grenades in particular, I don't think, uh, would be capable of uh, destroying a Merkava tank. Maybe if it hit the, the tank treads, it would be able to disable it. Um, maybe it would uh, decommission the tank for a few days. Um, uh, you know, Hearing similar stories like we heard uh, at the beginning of the Gaza invasion. I heard stories that, no, there's a whole um, Afghanistan contingent that has moved into Gaza. I don't believe those stories. I'm sorry. Um, and uh, there are plenty of stories out there saying that, uh, in actual fact, this operational Aqsa flood caught everyone by surprise. Uh, it was, in fact, there are even stories saying that uh, Hamas's external leadership, including Ismail Haniyeh, knew nothing about it, and that it was all entirely um, the brainchild of uh, the Hamas Hazan commander, whose name uh, momentarily escapes me. Now, as the war has worn on, now Hamas inside Gaza want a ceasefire, and increasingly, Hamas outside Gaza are, are willing to, to drag out the talks and go for new conditions, simply because uh, the dynamics have completely changed. Um, now, the Hamas leadership outside Gaza uh, feels that uh, it, it, it is in a position where it can, it can get more concessions out of Israel. So now the external leadership is interested in getting more concessions out of Israel. Whereas the Gaza leadership inside Gaza are very interested in getting a ceasefire as soon as possible. Because, of course, you know, they're facing the brunt of the, of the onslaught. Who, who gave the go-ahead for Al-Aqsa storm? Why, why was there no plan B other than we're going to fire these, uh, these rockets Oh, it looks very dramatic when you see them firing up into the air. But when you go and have a look for the damage they've done, there's very little or almost none. 
most of most of those missiles are falling into on, onto empty land and do no, no damage whatsoever. Uh, they can terrify people. They can frighten people uh, who can see them coming down on them. Uh, but certainly in terms of inflicting damage um, and uh, forcing a, a major turnaround by your enemy, uh, it's a very blunt weapon, I'm afraid. But as I say, th- throughout the course of this whole thing, I haven't seen one person in Gaza saying, may Allah's curse be on Hamas and their leadership. I haven't seen anything like that. I've heard them cursing the Saudis. I've heard them cursing the Arabs. Um, I've heard them cursing the international community, the United Nations, the United States, as well as Israel. But I have not seen one or read anywhere, one Ghazan saying, may Allah's curse be on Hamas. Not one. So now you get, you get many writers in America who like to say, well, uh, you know, they, they, they don't support Hamas. Or, you know, if you, if you call for an end to the genocide, then they'll say you support Hamas. What's wrong with supporting Hamas? Hamas is the democratically elected government of Gaza. So anyway, uh, one of my favorite reporters, uh, Mike Whitney, has uh, has uh, has gone and had a look. What were the uh, the Khazans hoping for back in two thousand and six? So he asks, "Is this statement true, true or false? Israel is justified in flattening Gaza because the Palestinians elected Hamas in two thousand and six, which proves they support terrorism. One true, two false." He says the answer is two. The 2006 elections do not prove that the Palestinians support terrorism. Quite the contrary. What the polling data shows is that the majority of people voted on issues completely unrelated to terrorism. Here's what they voted for. The number one concern that they voted for was safety and security, with over 37% of respondents saying it was their number one concern. Then the second most important concern was decreased corruption, with 25% of respondents saying that was their main concern. Huh? Quite a surprise, eh? So the Palestinians want the same thing that people want everywhere, more security and less corruption. No one, says Whitney, and I mean no one, voted for Hamas because they thought the group would instigate more bloody confrontations with Israel. The fact that safety and security were the number one issue shows that there's no appetite for more conflict at all. Palestinians, at least the majority of Palestinians, want peace. That's what all the surveys tell us. Unfortunately, the media has tried to convince people that the opposite is true. That the people of Gaza voted for Hamas because they still cling to the idea of pushing the Jews into the sea, as white people like to think. But that's just not true. You can see for yourself an exit poll conducted by Near East Consulting on February 15, 2006 uh, on voters participating in the elections in the Palestinian areas uh, revealed the following responses of major concerns. Support for a peace agreement with Israel. 79% were in support of a peace agreement with Israel. 15% opposed. Should Hamas change its policies regarding Israel? Yes, said 75.2% of people. No, said 24.8%. Under Hamas's corruption, under Hamas, corruption will decrease. Yes, said 78%. No, said 21%. Under Hamas's internal, under Hamas, internal security will improve. Yes, said 67%. No, said 32%. Now, I know many people would like to scapegoat the Palestinians for the ghastly massacre that's going on today, but it doesn't square with the facts. Palestinians voted for Hamas not because they thought the group was a perfect match with their own values, but because they appear to be less corrupt than the disreputable puppets in Fatah. Americans should be sympathetic to these feelings, given the similarities between the 2006 Gaza balloting and the 2016 presidential elections in the U.S., 
In the American election, many people voted for Trump, not because they couldn't see he was a deeply flawed candidate with no political experience, but because his opponent was the most crooked and vindictive politician in American history. Trump was clearly the lesser of two evils, just as Hamas was the lesser of two evils. But there's more to it than most people realize. Hamas ordered the complete cessation of suicide bombings more than a year before the election in 2005. Did you know that? It's true. No more suicide missions, no more blown-up buses, retail shops and coffee houses. And it stopped because Hamas stopped it. Did the voters in Gaza know that? Of course they did. And it's doubtful Hamas would have won the election if the group had continued with the bombings. But that's not what the average guy wants. And guess what happened after the bombings? Hamas decided to enter the political arena. Again, that was a significant development that was downplayed in the media, but sent tremors throughout the Israeli political establishment. Why? Because Israeli leaders put the two developments together and see what was going on. Hamas was shifting its approach from armed struggle to a political track. That is a tectonic change in policy that represented a grave threat to Israel's broader Zionist strategy. But how was Israel going to seize more land if the Hamas boogeyman had transformed, him, transformed himself into a, a cute little politician who long, no longer engaged in acts of terrorism? That's a conundrum that Israel faced. It's also worth mentioning that as soon as Hamas won the election, they declared a unilateral ceasefire with Israel. In, Israel, in other words, Israel continued the attacks on Gaza, but Hamas refused to respond. Additionally, Israel imposed a suffocating blockade on Gaza that has persisted until today, and the reason they did this was because the threat of peace breaking out was too serious to ignore. If Hamas was going to pursue a peaceful political track, then Israel would have to increase the provocations, the incitements, and the brutality, and that's exactly what happened. But why? Once again, it's because Israel needs a boogeyman to justify its operational plan for territorial expansion, and it's that simple. They can't simply take the land by force without first concocting a pretext that will conceal their real motive. And look at it today. The United States says, oh, no, you know, we, you, you can't, you can't uh, um, order Israel to immediately withdraw from the occupied territories because we first need to ensure Israel's security. But Hamas has already in 2006 already said we are giving up the armed struggle and we're now moving on to negotiations. We've given up retaliatory attacks against Israel. In 2006 they said that, but still, no, Israel must remain in occupied territories because it must secure its security. That is a boogeyman that Israel sells not just to its own people, but to the Americans as well. Uh, and uh, with that, I'm afraid we've come to the end of the show. I would like to go on. There is some more here. And I suppose that means that uh, there is more for another day. Jazakamullah for joining us. I uh, hope you enjoy your weekends and Allah Ta'ala protects you through it all. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.